Okay, so let's get to the next thing here. Uh, Wilma is on Skype. So let's bring Wilma on. Uh, let's see. Wilma, can you unmute yourself? And yes, welcome. Unmute it. Can you unmute hear me? It. Perfect. Everybody can hear you. Checking volumes. Everything looks good. So, welcome to Maple Crest Morning. How are you doing? Really good. It's really good? Day. Well, I'm glad that you're doing really well. I'm going to pray for you. And then you're going to talk about the victim offender trauma bond. And we're going to uh, just be ready for that. So, Father, we pray for Wilma and pray that you would give her the spirit and um, just help her, uh, just fill her in a way that she can feel and uh, just uh, give her the words that we need to hear for this time about uh, how to get through challenging experiences and um, and how you're in that and uh, how you've made us and how you're with us and uh yeah. So just bless Wilma and prepare everybody out there. Prepare our hearts for this, uh, and uh, just make us open in the name of Jesus. Okay, Wilma. Thank you. You have the floor. Thank you. And this is Mother's Day. Wow, we are celebrating Mother's Day in a kind of isolated way, and it's it's hard. It's a hard day to begin with all the time because I think in many ways women are always conflicted at this moment. We are celebrating it. We love our children, and we love what every every person that has come into this world is is mothered, and so we we celebrate Mother's Day in a beautiful way. But we have our guilt, and my guilt is rather odd. You know, I never. I'm going to make a confession here. I never wanted children. I wanted to birth books, but I never wanted children. I never thought I'd be a capable mother, and they all. I had three of them, and each one was kind of a traumatic pregnancy, and then. And then they came, and they were the most beautiful children, beautiful babies. Oh, I was the envy of every mother. They were just gorgeous, and I just let them walk in the mall, and each one, all three, just were striking. And they were also very well-mannered. I'm not sure how I lucked out like that. And they grew up to be these wonderful people, powerful, beautiful. Each one of them, even the one that disappeared on us, turned out to be powerful. So... And, they, and they're all believers, and they married these amazing spouses. And then they have these incredible grandchildren, one of which you saw this morning. And I, I just, oh, I could just cry. I could just cry because I feel so blessed, so absolutely blessed and guilty. <laughs> and, uh, and for all the moments that I wasn't the best mother, oh, the guilt, right? But just the blessing of people that we have produced and uh, that we are part, I'm part of their lives and just amazed. But I know that for many, motherhood is not easy. I know that the heartbreak, I've been listening to many mothers this week and just hear the heartbreak of children that aren't doing well. It's just huge heartbreak. And then the heartbreak of, of people, women who haven't had children. It's just a conflicted day, just conflicted. So wherever you are, Let's just celebrate being a woman. You know, that is great. And uh, But then how do we put that together with the, with the 15 elements that we're going through of trauma when we are going through a difficult time, which COVID has put us into? So we were going through these 15 elements that I learned when I was a parent of a murdered child. And we have done, we've talked about story fragmentation, terror, trauma, grief, displacement, spiritual crises, time memory warp, identity devastation. And they just, aren't those 
horrific names to begin with. And then uh, this one is the victim offender trauma bond. It's the seventh one. And there are 15. So we have some more to go yet. But how do you put victim and offender trauma bond together with Mother's Day? I had a huge dilemma, really dilemma. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to tell you. Being a woman is to be a victim. I remember when I was five years old, I sat beside, I'm going to cry. I sat beside my, my father as he was telephoning the entire community. He had had three girls, three daughters, and I was the third daughter. And he had just had a son born to him. He was just glowing, just glowing. And I sat beside him as the third child with their daughter, and I watched him transform from a kind of melancholy man to a man bursting with pride and glory and, and glee that he had this son, and I didn't take, didn't take a lot of brains to put that together and realize that I had been the third daughter, I was the rerun, and I would never be able to give the joy to my father, who I loved the way his son had. Oh! We as women at some point all realize that we're less than perfect. We're less than men. And if you don't believe me, all you have to think about is the Trump and Hillary election, where two men, were, two people were going towards and looking towards getting the biggest position in all of the world and earth and global and and it was, it became, the, the language was, who's, can a woman make it? Can a woman make it? We know that Obama did, so we know that race isn't a problem. But can a woman make it? And we women are half of the world, if not more. And to see that Hillary didn't make it. Now, even if we wanted to vote for her or not, doesn't make a difference. It was an underlying message. Women cannot make it. And it's validated almost every day. There's a glass ceiling. There is everything. All of the all the stats. We all need, all we have to do is watch a football game and a hockey game and and look at the sports and we know where the glory is. We are victimized as a culture, as women, and it's horrific to go through that. But we also have to remember that in God's world, in God's heaven, where God is in total control, He does not recognize genders. That's what we know is the perfect world. This is what we have to cope with because of what the fallen world is that we as a culture are victimized and as a peoplehood. There's no genders in heaven. So how do we put that together? How do we deal with this underlying victimization? And I think that often what we do is we want to put our attention to it and we want to fight it and all that. But I'm going to talk about it in a little different way as a trauma bond. And I want to illustrate this by another story. When our daughter went missing, I belonged to another group called the Parents of Murdered Children, where I learned a lot because I was observing everything. And uh, I noticed that the people were not, they were very angry. And they weren't really talking about their children. And then I went into another group called Compassionate Friends where they had lost their children through natural causes. And they were holding pictures of their children. They were crying. They were grieving their children in a complicated way, but a, a less, but a more genuine, a more painful, more sad way. And, 
and, and enduring all of that so that they could move on with their lives. Whereas in our group, we had an offender. And so we were, um, we were just, we, I was shocked at the, um, the difference between the two and realizing that the group that I was part of were so focused on the murderer, on the person who had taken their child, that they had no room left for their children, even in death. How sad is that? And I was the saddest one because I was envious of them. We didn't know who had taken my daughter, and I wanted a killer. I wanted an offender. I wanted a murderer to blame. And so I was envious of those. How sad is that? And so we can become obsessed with what we perceive to be the the, uh, the enemy. To acquire an enemy is really a dangerous thing. But to acquire an enemy that not only takes what we wanted and what we held valued, but also robs us of our soul and our lives is what we really need to fear. As women, we can, in our victimization, become so obsessed with needing the approval, engaging in competition, or raging in anger at men for what we perceive as being lacking because we feel we're lacking. We can be so obsessed with men, leaning on them, living off them, waiting off for them, that we ourselves are never fulfilled. We never reach our potential. We don't realize we have superiorities and everyone has a superiority in something. And instead of focusing on our own superiority, we focus on what is the perceived superiority of somebody else. We never realize our giftedness. And I just want to say here that I've lived long enough and I've done enough therapy to realize that everyone is victimized. But this today we're talking, and all men are victimized as well, but today we're talking about women. We are all brought to our knees at one point by a perceived or real enemy. The key of life is to recognize it and break the victim-offender trauma bond. We can't, the key is to recognize it and to work against it. Now, if we were to talk about COVID in this, and this is what we were really going to talk about, is that it's the same thing. You know, I, I hear this so much of, you know what? I can't do anything. All I'm doing is watching the news. <laughs> I'm just absorbed or I'm in denial. I will, I will do anything to get out of it. Or we're fighting this or we're fighting that. And, and COVID is big. A monster in our midst. It's unseen. It's it's not even in our home here right now, but it dictates to us and how what we're thinking about, how much time we're giving it, and it always wants more than it deserves. Enemies deserve some time, but not all of it. So the attention we need to give them is to build boundaries, to create safety for ourselves. And so I was looking at this morning, I thought, well, how am I going to really talk about this? Lord, are you in this? Do you know about this? So I opened up to 2 Samuel 22. And here's a beautiful passage that talks about the journey. It says, oh, Lord, you are light. You make my darkness bright. By your power, I can crush an army. You know, this is, okay, we have an army. We have an enemy. We can crush it. And then look where it goes. By your strength, I keep, I leap over a wall, as for God has his ways perfect. The word of the Lord is true. He shields all who hide behind him. Our Lord alone is God. We have no other Savior. God is my strong 
fortress. He has made me safe. He causes the good to walk a steady tread. Can you see how it's distracted now? It's going into, I'm living. I'm living like a mountain goat upon the rocks. I'm living. I have, I have other challenges in life. I have to climb a mountain. Like, he gives me skill in war and strength to bend a bow of bronze. I have to sort of already start to equip myself, not in fighting the enemy, but when I'm away from the enemy. You have given me the shield of your salvation. Your gentleness has made me great. It's not fighting that will make us great. It's God's gentleness in times of war. You have made wide steps for my feet. He is just walking up in wide steps. I have chased my enemies. Okay, here we're going back into it. And, dis and destroyed them. I have chased my enemies and destroyed them. I did not stop till all were gone. I have destroyed them. Do you see the journey there? It's about realizing we have an enemy, creating boundaries, and then never, never forgetting our real purpose in life. And that is to live our lives as they should be and not let anyone take what we have away from us. And we do that by doing good. I'll leave you with this verse. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. In so doing, you'll burn you'll keep burning coals on his fire on his head, sorry. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's goodness that will save us in the long run. Thank you. Oh, that was great. Oh, that was great. Thank you. That was a good word. Can you hear me okay? Oh, you're muted now. You muted yourself, I think. There we go. So, yeah, just uh, thank you for that. Oh, did you want to talk to me? Did you want yes. to talk to me? Yes, I want to talk to you for just okay. one more second. Would you be able to pray for me uh, for, uh, for my part? Thank you for that. Thank you for your part. Could you pray for me for the next part? Oh, dear God, thank you. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for the mothers in this world. And thank you for Cyrus, my son. I'm going to claim you, Cyrus. <laughs> but, Lord, I just pray that you'll be with him this, this moment. You know that he has a special gift of understanding humankind in a very special way. And melting that and, and making it, in, integrating it into the word. And Lord, these are tough subjects. These are tough times. And so I just pray that you'll just, your Holy Spirit will just fill him with words and joy and peace and an understanding of where we are all at, that we need to hear his voice and his, his teachings, his precious teachings at this special time and this special day. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Wilma. Thank Be blessed. Have a great day. We'll talk to you later. Okay. So, oh, that was good. So, uh, today we're still, we're going to be talking about uh, the victim-offender trauma bond. And I really like this topic. I feel like it deserves actually more than one, more than one go. Um... And today kind of took a certain direction, and we may kind of tackle it in, in another way, another uh, another Sunday. Uh, but this is just uh, such an interesting one. This the, uh, the link 
between offenders and victims. And I have to say, like, as I was thinking about where to go today, it just went in so many different directions. There were so many different ways to take this, like the relationship between, you know, like a, a victim of crime and an offender, uh, the relationship between, you know, in marriage, you know, when we victimize each other, when we, um, when we cause, you know, problems like that. And, um, and even our relationship with God, like how we can have, uh, how we've victimized each other and how we sometimes feel victimized by God, uh, even though, uh, that's a lie and, uh, how we victimized in some sense, done things against God. And, um, so there's just so many different directions to take it. And today I'm going to be talking about kind of long-term offending and how that relates to COVID. That's, um, that's going to be the, the goal where I'm going long-term offending, long-term victimization, and how that relates to COVID. But first, I'm just going to turn something off here just to make everything, you know, I'm just really happy. I mean, just aside, it seems like today is the first day that we've actually had just a nice clear stream all the way through the service. So I'm just thankful Lord, thank you for that. And, uh, yeah. So anyway, long, long-term offending and, um, and how that affects us. Uh, and how it affects somebody. Now, the, the classic study, the classic piece of research that um, relates to, or the, or the phenomenon that relates to long-term uh, kind of influence of an offender on somebody would be the Stockholm Syndrome. And in 1973, two men held four people hostage for six days in a bank robbery in Stockholm, which is you know, where you get the name, the Stockholm Syndrome. So there's, you know, this hostage situation, but which, you know, happens and on its own uh, is important, but not that noteworthy. Um, but what was really interesting about this was that after the hostages kind of got out and they had caught the men and they were going to do the uh, court system, the victims refused to testify against their captors. And they even began raising money for the defense of the people who had held them hostage hostage for six days. Um, and so this phenomenon became like, well, what has happened? Uh, four people held hostage for six days, four people, all of whom are not willing to testify and all of whom are raising money against amazing, raising money in order for the support of these offenders, um, who did this horrible thing. And, um, you might be filled with the question right now, why is Cyrus talking about hostage taking and how does that relate to our situation, you know, with COVID? Well, I would argue that there's actually many dynamics in a hostage taking uh, that are actually fairly similar to what's happened to a lot of people in their homes right now. Uh, there's a lot of dynamics about being in your home, not able to leave, otherwise you get this huge consequence. Uh, that's actually fairly similar to being held hostage. In fact, you could maybe say that we're all being held hostage by this disease. And, um, and that is, you know, whatever your beliefs are about whether this is a real threat or whether this is a government kind of misperception, overreach or plan, whatever your perception is about why we're all in our homes um, and why this has become uh, the way it is now, whatever the reason, uh, we are all still in the end being confined to our homes 
and uh, have been confined to our homes and with this threat if you leave. And uh, so it's very similar. It's very similar to a hostage taking, which is why I wanted to talk about it. And then how do you relate to your offender? How do you relate to the disease? How do you relate to the whatever you perceive as the thing that's holding you in, in your home? And do you end up loving the disease or, or the government for this? Do you end up, I, I, mean, I mean the government in a sense, like if you feel the government's done something wrong and holding you here, do you love them almost in that way for that? And, um, and I think that we're seeing a lot of reactions to this that are actually fairly similar uh, or could be similar over a longer time to something like the Stockholm Syndrome. And um, just to give you the summary, there's kind of three main ways of uh, reacting in a hostage situation. One is to kind of do this blanket like uh, refusal to cooperate. Um, like just like no, right? Uh, and, and just say no to everything, which can actually be, you know, dangerous and harmful to you, uh, in a hostage situation. Uh, the other is to be like, yes, and just, I'm going to cooperate. I'm actually going to believe in what you're doing. I'm going to just go all in and just believe. And that would be the opposite, right? You know, like I'm going to just, and that may be the Stockholm syndrome. Like I'm going to just believe in everything that you're telling me as a hostage taker as a hostage taker I'm just going to believe everything you're saying to me and then but I want to talk about the third way which is right down the middle which is are not necessarily the hardest I mean it depends how you look at it the hardest but it's certainly the less the least clear is this third way down the middle where you're kind of walking this line of of in some ways being compliant or agreeing and in some ways being non-compliant and resisting and kind of walking that line down the middle, which is the, um, I don't want to say like the biblical way, but it's often uh, found in the Bible as being the example of how to manage this dynamic, this hostage taking, or a lot of conflict, really. Um, and I think as Christians, um, we feel the conflict more than most, um, more than many, I would say, because we are in conflict between two governments. We have a government with uh, God that doesn't always line up with the government, uh, you know, our national government. And so there's a conflict between the two. And we can feel that and we're like, oh, do we resist or do we comply? Or, and and, um, and it, it's so easy to think of it as being um, something that Sorry, people are asking for increased volume. I don't know if there's really any way. Oh, I can maybe do this. I can do that. I can only do so much, but I can do something. I can do something. Sorry if that's a bit loud when I was touching it here, but that's the microphone. I just moved the microphone a little bit closer because the volume's actually already on max. Um, maybe I can lean forward too. There we go. So Christians feel the conflict more because we're actually under two governments already. We are under um, under the, our government and we're also under God's government where other people just have to deal with the one. They have to deal with just like the government that we're in and uh, like the worldly government and whether they agree or don't agree. And uh, so that actually makes it um, easier for them in some ways. So I want to think of an example of somebody who has 
gone under uh, the government has had to kind of balance these two things, has had to kind of balance um, being under two different governments. And um, the example that I thought of was uh, of somebody who actually did it well was Daniel. And so if you turn to Daniel chapter one, uh, you can see the story of Daniel and his three companions, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and, um, and their journey into kind of trying to walk that middle line, that third way in the middle of not accepting and not rejecting, and kind of doing that as best they can. So these four uh, Israelites were, were taken by Babylon, and they were put into a special kind of program. They were, they were being trained to be leaders, and um, they were picked out uh, in order to become excellent. And they were given special um, privileges and food and different things like this. And uh, here I'll read it for you. Daniel 1 verse 4. Youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom. And endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abed, uh, Abednego. And so they were given new names, they were given this special privilege, and they were to become leaders in a foreign land. And now what's interesting is that they had already received, or they received a command, they were under the command that had been given by Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, verse 4 to 14. So Jeremiah is speaking to Israel as they go into captivity and how to manage it. They actually had instructions on how they were to walk. Were they supposed to resist? Were they supposed to comply? Or were they supposed to walk down the third way? And in Jeremiah 29, verse 4 to 14, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. So increase. Also, Sorry, I added that and increase. <laughs> Verse 7. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, if Babylon prospers, you will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies. To you in my name, I have not sent them, declares the Lord. So there's this also warning of like, you may receive prophecies to resist or do these other things. Don't listen to them. My word, my true word is actually for you to increase, multiply, conform, like conform's not in here. I shouldn't have added that. Uh, build houses, settle down, live your lives, actually increase in this land. Um, get along and do your best. And don't focus your life on the fact that you're a captive. Don't focus your whole life on the fact that you are uh, here against your will. Actually live your life. Focus on what you can actually do in this time. So that's what 
um, Daniel's under. He's under this kind of command of Jeremiah to kind of live his life there, to actually comply. So if you're kind of in judgment of Daniel and you're saying, Daniel, why, why are you uh, living your life as a leader in Babylon when Babylon is actually the captor? Uh, if you were to think about somebody who had Stockholm syndrome, who had kind of like gone in all and drank the Kool-Aid, so to speak, you know, gone in and done all these things, you might think Daniel is that man. Daniel's the one who's kind of given up everything. And this is what um, Babylon did in order to kind of try to get Daniel to conform. First, they changed his name. Uh, they changed his name to Belshazzar. And Belshazzar, all the names, there's actually a theory. It's not, it's not well, it's... Hard to say it's totally true because the names don't quite line up. They think that they named Daniel and the three others after gods, pagan gods in Babylon. And that Daniel or somebody may have actually fudged the spelling a little bit in order to make them not sound or, or look exactly like the pagan gods that they were there. So Daniel became Belshazzar and there's a, a pagan god named Bel. Uh, so Belshazzar, Bel. So maybe that was after that god. Hannah uh, became Shadrach or Shaduku, which is potentially similar to Marduk. Michelle, Meshach, uh, oh sorry, Michelle became Meshach um, or Meshaku, and that's maybe similar to Aku, uh, which is the god's name. Azariah became Abednego, or another way to say it, Abednebo, which is close to the name Nebo, which is another uh, god. So you can see it kind of doesn't quite line up, but there's this like, oh, you know, they made they were they were at the le at the very least they were given kind of local names like basically give up your identity uh, forget who you were become something new um, it's a very common way to change somebody's identity is to change your name Christians do it too we have a Christian name um, and uh, so this is a way of like saying a kind of a rebirth but this is obviously a negative one, into the Babylonian culture. The other thing was they weren't just expected to kind of follow. They were actually supposed to be leaders. And what they were they leaders in? What was Daniel a leader in? Well, Daniel, uh, Daniel 2, it says, Daniel 2, verse 48, it says, Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief perfect prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province, but Daniel remained at the king's court. So he was given over the wise men. He was given leadership over the wise men. And he was probably had to study these things, which would have been things like astrology or the study of animal entrails or rites of purification or sacrifice, incantation, exorcism, and other divination. So just imagine if your kid goes off to school and, you know, you're a Christian home, and they go off to school and they're learning about divination and astrology. And I think many people out there have had that experience of kids going off to university and learning and doing and doing things that uh, aren't consistent with your faith, aren't consistent with your belief system. And I had to do that. I went and became, you know, a psychologist and I had to study lots of things and, and write papers kind of talking about things in ways that my professors wanted them to sound. Um, and here Daniel is doing the same thing in this kind of way that is even more extreme than how many of our uh, people who go to university or school in various ways have to do. This is even more just like it's actually talking about that religion and actually having to learn to, to I don't know exactly what you all had to do or kind of exist alongside, but he had to exist very closely to all of these practices. He had to walk this line and he had to walk very close 
to the darkness, right in the darkness. Um, and they took the challenge. They took Jeremiah's challenge to kind of go to benefit, to, uh, to grow themselves, to, to multiply, to work in this land. And I have to say that it would have been simpler. I'm not saying necessarily easier, but simpler for Daniel just to say no and die. And it would have also been simpler for him to say yes, and just kind of go along with his new name and go along with all of the people he was now companions with and actually just change his beliefs. It's so challenging to be in and not of, to be around, but not to be the same as, to kind of keep that difference day in and day out, to kind of be thinking through what you can say, what you can't see, what's what's okay to say, what's too far to say, to be like, I have this other allegiance and I have to keep that and I can't give that up, but I have to exist in this darkness. Um, that's, that's the third way is so challenging. And there will be a time in our lives well, I'm not sure if it's exactly in our lives, but there will be a time on the earth, is what I meant to say, when those lines will become clear and people will have to choose. But right now, the wheat and the chaff is growing together. It is a confusing, muddy mess of all these things growing together. So muddy and messy that the Lord said, well, don't take out the chaff because we can't, we might tear up the wheat. It's all tied in together. It's hard to draw that line of where the where the bad ends and the good begins. And... Um, there were two ways that Daniel found a way to kind of maintain himself in that experience. And, and I think that they're important. The first was he had cultural distinctiveness that he kept. Um, so he said, uh, in Daniel 1 verse 8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. So, I mean, it was culturally important to him. Um, I'm not suggesting that, you know, like we make dietary restrictions, uh, you know, in order to keep our own distinctiveness. Um, but he kept some distinctiveness. He kept something to himself, for himself. And you hear about this when cultures are in other cultures and they want to keep to their own, um, they don't want to, they want to preserve themselves. So, they will go and go to the school that is, you know, by the oppressor, the foreign oppressor, who's like forcing them all to learn that oppressive foreign language. And then they'll go home and they'll speak their local language and they'll practice their local. So they'll go, but then they'll come home and they'll have their secret place where they practice their own thing. And he went, Daniel went further and he even in the present said no to certain things. He kind of, he, he found some things where there was a way for him to distinguish himself and to say, look, this is, I am different. And uh, I need you to allow me to be different in this way. So that was one thing that he did. And I think it's important that we kind of find ways to, in as hopefully, uh, and I'll get into this later, inoffensively keep our own distinctiveness. And Daniel found a way to kind of inoffensively, this is an inoffensive one that Babylonians were kind of like maybe rolling their eyes and being like, okay, you can eat different. It doesn't really matter to us. I don't think you're going to be as healthy. But Daniel proved he was healthy and, and that his food was fine. Maybe it was... A miracle that he was fine. I don't know. Some, I think my wife would say that the diet that Daniel had was even better than the uh, Babylonians' diet. But uh, one way or the other, it was actually an okay diet, or it was a supernaturally uh, given health. Uh, Daniel was able to uh, keep his own thing in a way that the Babylonians didn't really care. They just wanted to make sure that he was healthy and that he looked good. 
Um, and the other one was he only worshipped his God. He only worshipped God. That was the line that he drew. He would not worship the Babylonians' God. And he, he wouldn't give up worship of his God. So those were the two things that he did where he was like, these are things I will not cross. He had his lines. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego also did that. They also had their lines. And um, and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a furnace eventually. Uh, and Daniel was thrown into a lion's den because of those lines that they drew. They lived most of their lives in peace and harmony with Babylon. I think we forget about that part. Most of their lives they lived in peace and harmony, except for some cultural distinctiveness with Babylon, but in the end, there was a line they would not cross, and there was attempted executions for both of them, uh, for both groups. So this isn't really very much of a Mother's Day message, so I wanted to insert a Mother's Day section. So this is now the Mother's Day section, which may fit pretty well, I'm not sure, but anyway, this is like the honoring Mother's Day right now. So Mother's Day, um, I don't know if this is going to be very good for us. Anyway, family is kind of like another hostage taking. So, uh, <laughs> Natasha's laughing over here. Uh, family is kind of like another hostage taking where you are with these people, your children, your extended family or whatever, and you can't get away. You are, you are now, uh, tied by blood. You, they're your family. You don't, you can't choose your family. You are, uh, in, in some ways there is a hostage taking where you are, being pressured and you can either reject you can either accept or you can either walk that third line and mothers are forced to do this as well when their children change there is a huge amount of pressure to either accept or reject and when people come in for counseling and from the Bible, I encourage people to walk that third line, to walk that third path, to not accept, to not reject. And then what's the other option? This kind of ambiguous line in the middle where it's like, I don't agree with what you're doing, but I'm not going to just walk away from you and I'm not going to change my beliefs, but I'm going to find a way to live in your land. I'm going to find a way to try to be as inoffensive as possible to live in your land, to live in close proximity to you while keeping some cultural distinctiveness that you can accept and not going too far, whatever that line is. I'm going to remain in relationship with you. I'm going to remain in relationship with you, just like Daniel did. We with our families that we can't choose and we love and I've seen people try to reject, they often come back. Like it's so hard to reject. Uh, and so I've seen so many people just be like, wow, this is the new way. And, and then they accept and they don't hold on. And I mean, I'm, don't get me wrong, children will often have a better way and I'm not against kind of taking advice or changing beliefs. I'm not against that. But you know what I'm talking about when it goes too far and it's like, I can't go there with you. I want to, I want to go with you, but I can't. And so with so there's your Mother's Day section in the middle. So as a mother, you're in this even with your children and as fathers with your children and as children with your parents. And, and uh, there is a sword. There is this sword that divides and we will try to walk that third line as much as you can. Now you might be saying, okay, so that was fine for Daniel. I don't know about the parent thing or things. 
are we really supposed to be doing this? Are we really supposed to be not causing offense? Aren't we supposed to be offensive? Well, I, I would argue that Daniel was offensive in many ways to the Babylonians. Obviously, he got thrown into a lion's den. So I do believe we're supposed to be offensive. But I also believe that there is room in our day-to-day -day lives for many of us to walk this third line and not walk in offense. And I want to show it to you. I really do want to show it to you. Romans 13, 1 to 2. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So this is our Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah speaking to us in our Babylon, saying, go and obey the governments. Go and live your lives increase go do your thing plant crops have children do your life in the presence of these governments now you might be saying well he didn't he wasn't talking about our government he didn't realize what he was talking about and he's like well i think he did because these governments in some ways were worse than ours and more antichrist than our government um and they were terrible governments and yet people were attempting to live in a non-offensive way with these governments as much as possible within these other lines that are also in the Bible that we can't cross. Um, our captivity has been permitted. Our captivity has been permitted. Um, now I'll give you an example of how Jesus did this. Jesus had to find a way to live in complete unity with God, but also under the government. Matthew 17, verse 24. Matthew 17 verse 24 he's put in a position where he has to put these two governments together and he actually talks about what the two governments are requiring of him and then he shows how he finds the third way down the middle matthew 17 verse 24 when they came to capernaum or capernaum the collectors of the uh the, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to peter and said does your teacher not pay the tax and he said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? Uh, for whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And uh, when he said, from others, they don't take tax from their kids, uh, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, Go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. So Jesus says, look, I don't have to pay the tax. I'm free. I'm a son. I don't have to pay taxes. I live under another reality. And I know that. And you know that, right? And then he says, but let's pay the tax anyway. Let's pay the tax because we are under the command of the authorities that God has put in our earth, on the earth, to be over us. So let's pay the tax in order to not give offense. In order to not give offense. So he walks this third line where he is aware of what is required and he finds a way to live in an inoffensive manner when possible. When possible. 
He had to manage an earthly government while being under God's government. We are free. We are free. I don't want to deny that. But we are also under, uh, we have been placed in this time, in this, in this place, in this time has been appointed unto us to live. And we have to manage that as well and live in the way that God would have us live. Now, one of the things I want to point out here is that in order to, this third way is so challenging that it requires miracles. Um, Daniel. God granted Daniel wisdom, prophetic understanding of dreams to help him manage the kings, potentially supernatural health. Maybe it was supernatural health. Maybe it was just wisdom to eat that way. I'm not going to get into that. Uh, and he shut the lion's mouth. Daniel had miracles. Jesus had miracles in order to do his third path. He took, a, he took a shekel from a fish's mouth. In order to be able to please God's government and in order to please the government of the day, he needed a miracle in order to kind of bring those together to walk the third path. Um, and I want to say that we will require miracles. Uh, we could accept it, then we don't need miracles. We could just reject it and we could just kind of die or go off and do our thing, but then we're not kind of following just God's plan. And I, I want to say, I'm leaving some room here for everybody to have their own uh, path outlined, which is kind of the third path. We're following the path that God has given us. And that requires that I can't tell you what to do. If it was accepting or if it was rejecting, it's actually, I could give you the instructions and be like, this is what you do in every situation. You accept it or you reject it and I just tell you what to do. Uh, and we like that. But if the third way, we need to get constant wisdom, constant understanding about how to manage that situation. So in COVID, let's bring it to COVID. We're called to love the offender. Um, we can't just reject the law. We can't just accept the world's view either. Christians aren't going to look at a pandemic the same way that others are going to look at it. We're not supposed to. We're free. Um, so, sure, COVID can cause death. But death doesn't mean the same thing to us as it does to other people. We will not be ruled by the hostage takers of this earth. We are under a different authority. Um, each of us has to be obedient first to God. But, oh, you know, like, they see COVID this way. They're looking at it this way. They're under this other authority. So, let's not give offense. We have to kind of live under these rules and walk this third path, uh, not looking at it the same way, in the same way that Jesus was like, you know, I don't have to pay the tax, but let's pay the tax. Uh, I don't, I'm not changing my belief system to believe that I do need to pay the tax, but I'm uh, also not going to act in a way that causes disturbances that are just a distraction and unnecessary. Um, so, uh, when we are, when we're walking today, I would encourage all of you to try to find, to ask the Lord to give you wisdom in finding that third path that God has set before you. Um, we are free, but we don't give offense. Um, then, then the sons go free, said Jesus. However, to not give offense, let them go. And he says, go get the fish. We must walk in the way of love to not give offense but do not give up your freedom. And I want to say God has actually put you here. It's not just like, uh, oh shoot, I'm under this. I'm under this government. I guess I have to do this. You know, it's too bad. 
it's more like God put you under this government for a purpose. You're not just here to show that you can live under a government, to show that you can find this third way. You were appointed today to live under this government. You were appointed today to find that third path. You were appointed to be in Canada in 2020 and be part of a pandemic. You were made to be under a pandemic um, and live out the Father's will in that situation. So this isn't something where, you know, you are just like, oh shoot, this is, it's not really part of God's plan for me to be here or to do this, but we'll try to make the best of it. It's more, it's more like you were actually designed to do this. You were designed to live out this life. And don't mistake not giving offense with allegiance or believing the same thing. Jesus didn't believe the same thing. He just acted non-offensively in that moment. That's not allegiance. That's not agreement. So we don't have to agree with everything that everybody's saying in order to comply, in order to be um, inoffensive to them. And um, there will likely become times, there will be times in your life where you can't be inoffensive anymore, where it becomes necessary in a meaningful God-directed path at an appointed time, just like Jesus could have done at any time in his life to go on the cross, but he did it at an appointed time to actually become the offense, the stone that people tripped over, that he became the offense, not just a random offense, not just every offense. He became the offense, the meaningful one that God put him here to do. See, God puts the righteous in the chaff. He puts us here. Not just to be like, I'm getting out, I'm out, I don't want to be a part of this anymore, I'm going off, I'm just going to like exit stage left. No, he actually wanted you to be in it. He wants you here. He wants you to experience it and he wants you to change it. He wants you to be the salt in it. And the, the last thing is, you're going to need a miracle. If you're actually walking in this third way, you're going to need a miracle and that's going to take faith. You might say that, Cyrus, there's no way to do this. There's no way to actually walk this out in all the situations with my family or with COVID or with this person who did this to me. And I would say, sure, no, there's no way. There's no way to pay the tax unless you have a miracle. And um, isn't that just make sense? That God wouldn't just say miracles are something that's like extra but he would give us a life where we're not strong enough to actually do it on our own. He would give us a life. If you find that life and you find that path and you're like, I don't think I can do that, that doesn't mean that it's not the path for you. It just means that you're going to need God to do it. You're going to need God in order to be able to live the life that you're destined to live. You're going to need his work in you. And that's what I want for all of us. I want us all to be living lives that require miracles. Uh, to be living a life of... Uh, that requires a prophetic wisdom, that requires the miracle in order to get us out of that tricky situation, that requires the prophetic, the divine faith to walk into uh, execution. And, uh, and also the wisdom as when to just kind of not be offensive because that's what God's commanded us to do. He asked us to be in here, to be in this society. So Father, Joshi again, Come on in here. Father, we pray, uh, we pray, Lord, that you would give us 
the uh, prophetic wisdom, the prophetic understanding to walk on this third path, to understand what you have for us, for each one of us. And I pray that you would give each person the miracle that they need in order to be able to walk it out, that they would be able to speak into a situation with prophetic wisdom to just untie the knot and be like, look, we can still be together. I can still be your mother. I can still be your father. I can still be your son. I'm just going to untangle this knot. I'm going to release everybody from this tension that's just unnecessary right now. And we're, I'm going to be me and be under my other government, but I'm just not going to be offensive right now. And the understanding and wisdom to be able to do that in the moment and also the favor in each person's life to be able to succeed and, and be able to be put into the position, the, the, the God-appointed position in this culture in order to uh, work out what you're supposed to work out. Just like Daniel was given the ability and, and miraculous, miraculous ability to actually be put into the place in society where he needed to be in that moment, to be an influencer, to influence the king in order to in order to release spiritually, physically, the freedom for everyone. Lord, put us into our positions and help us to get there, to our positions in order to free Canada, just like Daniel freed the Israelites. Lord, we just pray that you would put us in our place, that you would give us the wisdom and understanding to know what we know and to be inoffensive without giving up our allegiance. To not be so focused on the offender that we get scared and just give in. But to instead be able to pull ourselves away from the offender and focus on you and what you would have us do. You know, it's interesting, just one more point here. We can get so caught up with the offender that, you see those decisions to agree with the offender or disagree with the offender? Those are both offender driven. Mm. Um... Those are both determined by the offender. I'm going to agree with the offender. Well, now that's the offender making the rules. I'm going to disagree with the offender and go against. Well, now that's the offender determining what you're going to do. Instead, I want God to determine what you're going to do. I don't want your focus on the offender to determine your actions. I want you to focus on God mm -hmm. and what he would have you do in that moment rather than being reactionary pro or against the offender because then he's the one dictating your actions yeah mm -hmm. and that's that bond right that you have that victim offender trauma bond it's like you're so focused on the offender that your reactions are actually determined by that relationship rather than the relationship with god you don't want to forget about the offender you have to be aware um but you don't want to be determined by the offender you want to be walking in your own process in the presence of the offender yeah